you know how everything is monotonous and nothing is really as good as it used to be right now? You know that. Like, it's kind of redundant right now. And we find ourselves saying, man, I wish it would go back to normal. Hey, you remember when we used to do this? God, I miss that. And now there's new versions of things that are just not as good. Like socializing. Yeah, you could totally socialize. I mean, you got to stay six feet apart. You can't hug your friends. But I suppose if everybody is wearing a mask and not touching the same things, then groups up to 12 can meet in an outdoor area. Yeah, you can still socialize. And you know how some restaurants are now opening up and they're opening up their patios and waiters with masks are coming over to sterilize everything on the table every 10 seconds. And it's very weird because you don't want to get near anybody, but you still love restaurants. So you give it a whirl and then you realize we should probably just do takeout. This is too stressful. Yeah, that's not as good as it used to be. And you know how doing anything through Zoom just sucks. We could say that now, right? We're allowed to say that. We all tried. We all tried to do our jobs and now we realize, I don't like it. I don't like Zoom as much. And the new versions of doing things, watching live music, live comedy interacting through our screens. We're tired of this shit, right? So nothing's really as good as it was. And we could be optimistic and say, but we'll learn from this and high hopes for the future. We could say all those great statements and phrases and mantras. But I think some of us are looking for that little pebble of joy every day. And I found a pebble today. I found a giant pebble. Let's call it a boulder of joy. I went to a high school graduation and I entered it thinking, oh, how sad. How sad for the kids that they have to just drive up in a car with their parents and the parents can't get out of the car and they're allowed to take a picture, get the diploma and then drive away. However, it was great. About 10 minutes into it, I was just standing there alone with a mask on, sipping on a coffee and here come the cars decorated with balloons and streamers, loud music, honking horns. So it was kind of parade like and I was thinking, oh yeah, these kids woke up today and said, let's make it special. Let's make it fun. And that's exactly what happened. A good amount of teachers came. I wouldn't say a lot of teachers, but a decent amount of teachers came. And they were still reading the names. Jason Carpenter. Miles Elkins. Ava Francis Hall. So I'm still hearing the names of a lot of the students that I really enjoyed teaching. And I'm going right up to their cars and saying, congratulations, double thumbs up, taking some photos with them. Were we really adhering to social distancing measures? Not so much. I still felt it was pretty safe, but some people got caught up in the moment and said, let's fucking hug. Not me personally. Actually, there were some folks that came at me with a fist bump and I was like, no, what are you kidding? We don't fist bump anymore. Just look at me and acknowledge me. And that's our greeting now. Let's blink at each other like a couple of weird toddlers seeing each other. Let's just slowly walk up to each other do nothing, and then walk away and say, yeah, it was nice to see that person today. But this was actually something, and I feel like I mean this, that was better. So if it was a normal year, we would have all just gone to the football field, listened to about 400 names, heard a speech, heard the national anthem, maybe a flyover, a couple of hours of going through the motions, and boom, that's another graduation. Graduations are nice. They're not always so memorable, but this one was. This one was memorable. For the kids, for the staff, for their parents. I think it was the culmination, not just of four years of hard work for a lot of these students, but it was the culmination of being truly sheltered and isolated. Let me out. Let me out of this fucking car just for five seconds. 
and the energy that came out of these cars when the kids could actually get out of the car, stand next to the stage, go up two stairs to a stage, grab a diploma, take a picture, go down two stairs, have their parents honk the corn at them, have some teachers scream congratulations, they get back into the vehicle, and this loop, this endless, continuous loop of joy started to get into my soul. And I was thinking, this is great. And then as I was talking with other teachers, they're like, isn't this kind of great? And then we were starting to say, wait, isn't this better? Something good for once. Something good. There's not a lot of things that are going to fall into that category right now during the pandemic. There's not a lot of things where you go, it's even better now than it used to be. But the graduation today, I stood there for about two hours smiling, loved it. And now everybody goes, wait, what are we doing? Do we come back in August? What does the schedule look like? There's a ton of budget cuts coming. Obviously, funds are depleted all over the place. So it is a scary time. But for at least a few hours today, it was a beautiful thing. So congrats to all the graduates, not just high school graduates, but college grads. And I think preschoolers now have graduations. Fifth graders have graduations. Eighth graders have graduations and commencements. And I get it. Why not celebrate some things? This whole idea of everybody gets a trophy, I don't love that in the sports world. Participation ribbons, fine. But if we're going to start celebrating the little things for our kids, that's all good. If we could put flowers on a stage and turn a concrete jungle of a high school into a beautiful scene for a graduation today, add a little pomp, add a little circumstance, add a little formality to an otherwise mundane June 12th, I'm all for it. It was good. We do that a lot, actually, with our holidays and traditions. Who makes things special? We do. Humans do. It's up to us. You can wake up tomorrow and say, how do we make this day special? Do it. You can. Say, we'll get a picnic. We'll get a nice bottle of wine. We'll watch a great movie. We'll FaceTime with a relative that we don't hate. It'll be great. Yeah, zero negatives from the ceremony today. It's actually still going on. They had the kids come in alphabetical order. If your name is A through F, you go from 8.30 to 10.30 and your parents come in. And some parents, I could tell, were bringing two vehicles from the house. Some families were kind of breaking the rules and getting out of their cars, being told, hey, go, 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 go back in your car. Hey, come on, hurry through the loop. You're trying to hurry people through the loop. They're like, nah, nah, I'm not hurrying. I've been cooped up since March 13th. I'm going to enjoy this shit. Someone even came up to me when I was hanging out with a few teachers and said, could you guys help with uh, traffic? And we're like, no, we're here to applaud for the kids. We're off the clock. Let's turn this shit into a par-tay. The only sad part that popped into my head today is when I was asking some of the students, so where are you going next year? And a lot of them answer, Georgia Tech, UC Berkeley, Santa Rosa JC, San Diego State, Cal Poly, and the answer is great. And then we kind of look at each other and go, if, They welcome us if we get the green light to actually go to college. I could not imagine going through all of the motions of turning in your final assignments, graduating, and then just staying in your damn bedroom for another year. Although some colleges will be closed, some will be open. Those are the kids that won the magic ticket. The kids that got into colleges that are opening their campuses, these kids aren't scared of COVID-19. They're just like, get me to the dorms, get me to the parties. Swab me. Give me that long swab to the brain. Let me test myself every day. Give me the temperature test. Classrooms are going to look so different. The way we're going to try to sterilize them. I don't even have a clue. I can't go down that path. I'm eager to go down that path, but I can't because I've heard all the options right now. My brain is just 
flooded with too many precautions. Well, yeah, you could do this schedule, but... I suppose the kids could do a hybrid type of but. Well, for these teachers, they would have to do this but. Well, for campus security with the custodians and then the staff and then parking with the kids and the kids and the periods and the subjects, but then this. And I'm just like, oh, okay. Okay, so this is what the panic attack is going to be. Just a year-long panic attack. And then some people say, yeah, mm, just get used to more zooming. More zoom zoom zooming. All right, as I said in the last episode, I'm off Twitter. So I feel better. I actually mean that. I was an addict. Picture anything you could be addicted to. Anything. Cigarettes, nicotine, alcohol, chewing tobacco. Think of anything. Sugar. So as an addict, as a Twitter addict, I attempted the cold turkey detachment. And I found myself going to my phone for the first few days and just go, no, 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 no. Like it was physically a knee-jerk reaction to just grab my phone and go for the bird who comes at me with a tweet, tweet, tweet. And I said, nope, don't do that. So I was feeling better and better and better. I was watching less fistfights and negative verbal exchanges. And it was good. It was good for me. But I lapsed. About a day ago, I went to the website Twitter. See, I took the app off my phone, but it's not like I deleted my profile. So I'm off. But just like a cigarette addict who says, all right, I got to just have a puff. You know, I got to go outside and just light up a cigarette. I, I know I have a cigarette stashed in the back of my trunk and a match somewhere. Just get that puff. I don't even want the whole cigarette. I don't even want the whole cigarette. I just, you know, maybe a few drags and then I'll put it out. Well, that was me. So I go to my phone. I'm all alone. I go, all right, twitter.com, enter login password. Okay, okay, okay. Scrolling. And within 10 seconds, that shitty feeling of being triggered, <gasps> he's triggered, came over me because I ran across this story from a peaceful protest in New Jersey where racists showed up to reenact George Floyd's murder. Once again, peaceful protesters in New Jersey bringing awareness to this Black Lives Matter movement have to deal with the scum of the earth. These humans show up to ruin a peaceful protest with their All Lives Matter bullshit. And I'm tapping this picture and I'm tapping this video. No self-restraint for about five minutes. I'm just going down this rabbit hole of, okay, these people in New Jersey, uh-huh. Oh, and they made people sad and they were aggressive and it's all caught on tape and they're getting the reactions of both sides. And now I'm reading the toxic discourse from both sides, hating the fact that I'm on Twitter, hating myself for being so weak that I went back on to the website and put it back in my pocket. And I thought to myself, Hmm. I'm not pro-killing anybody, but if you told me that all racists, and I mean true, severe racists, would be killed today, collectively, just all taken into a bubble and sent up into outer space to which we would never see you again on Earth, just like a helium balloon, goodbye, float away, evaporate into the ether, would I be sad if I heard that? All racists killed today, now? No, I wouldn't. That's how angry I got. That's like the rage I felt to see racism. And then I thought, which is probably the bigger thought, would that cure everything? Would our country just all of a sudden be turned around? And of course the answer is no. So the extreme racists, most of us, not all, but most of us understand they represent the ugliness, just these pieces of shit that are impeding some of the progress and maintaining disgusting viewpoints of a racial hierarchy in this country that shouldn't exist, but it does exist. So now we got to deal with it. 
But it's not in their hands. It's in the hands of a lot of us. People like me. What am I going to do differently? Because I'm not racist. But I'm living a life of white privilege for sure. So I think it's up to those people, which I want to say might be the majority. People that are all for Black Lives Matter, this movement, you know, will happily protest, talk about it, get the discussion going, put it on the sidewalk with chalk, put it on your social media profile, you know, but then what? Then what? It's this huge shift that's going to happen with people actually going out of their way to better the cause of others. And sadly, our country has never really been about that. It's been a survival of the fittest type of country. It's been a cutthroat country where neighbors don't always help neighbors. We'd love to think that that's the case. Oh, we're a communal country. Not at all. Not at all. A lot of people have an inherently selfish perspective of if I'm okay, my wife's okay, my kids are okay and healthy, and we have enough money, and we're doing fine, and we're not receiving hate, we're not giving hate either, then you know what? That's good enough. And all of a sudden, it's not good enough. You got to go above and beyond. It's like that famous quote or poem from the Lutheran pastor. And this was about the Holocaust. And now I have to Google it because I forgot it. So hold on. Go into my phone. Martin Niemöller, I believe his name is. So I got to Google this. This is a quote that we break down in class when I teach the Holocaust. All right, there it is. First, they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. That's Martin Niemöller, who's a Lutheran minister, and he was also an early Nazi supporter who was later imprisoned for opposing Hitler's regime. My point is, a lot of us just sit back. And watch the mistreatment of black people and we say, huh, that's a shame. And, we, and then we lapse back into our normal routines without doing enough. So if there's really going to be a change, it's not these extreme racists. They're not going to budge on their stance. It's not even worth screaming at them. Hey, stop being so racist. But it's the folks who kind of need a little reminder. Hey, you got to do something. And whether this is socially, whether this has to do with real estate, professionally, all over. I can name so many facets of our country that could be improved right now with the help of everybody. No one would say, hey, black people just should work harder. No, 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 no. The white people right now have to work harder to provide opportunities and equality and justice and all these things that you might already know or maybe you don't. But I got to be off Twitter, though, because if it amplifies the racists, if I all of a sudden see too much of that, then it starts to skew my brain. And I go, oh, the racists are going to destroy this movement. No, it's the lazy, non-racist white people who are complacent. They're the ones who might destroy this movement. You also got to love the NFL, where their movement is to support Colin Kaepernick all of a sudden. Are you kidding? I love this. Goodell, we made a mistake. A lot of these old white coaches saying, yeah, well, I guess it's worth a discussion. Yeah, I guess we should be talking about it now. Oh, really? You needed George Floyd to get murdered? Before you start talking about why Colin Kaepernick took a knee during the national anthem. Are you kidding? And by the way, Cap, you wrote your memoir a little prematurely. Colin Kaepernick has a memoir coming out. He's 32. There should never be a memoir written before you're in your 50s. If you have enough significance in your life, enough noteworthy events that would even elicit a memoir. Enough people are interested, so sure, write about your life. Wait. 
Wait, Cap, your story is at the midway point. I actually do think it could be one of the most incredible stories in the history of sports. If Kaepernick, who's a great athlete, I don't know, he was kind of going downhill as a quarterback, but let's just fantasize for a moment. If he comes back to this league and all of a sudden can have some success, and let's really fantasize, let's have a Disney movie fantasy. Can Kaepernick get back to a Super Bowl and just become a historic figure, not just a professional athlete, but at this point, a historic figure to get back into a league that welcomes him. And he's all of a sudden being used as a major powerful source to educate some ignorant or naive fans out there. Then yet wait on publishing the memoir. There's a story a month ago. Kaepernick is ready to publish his memoir with his own printing company. I'm like, that's kind of cool that he's going to have his own printing company, but just wait, you know, something special is about to happen with this guy because he is philanthropic. He does care. We talk about a guy who understood what pain was going to come his way. He's not stupid. He understood the critics, the haters, the doubters. He understood a league that was ready to collude and keep him out, but he was able to see the big picture. Something I try to do every day and I don't always succeed, but to see the big picture, this guy cap, it's not even a sports radio topic, even though I guess most sports radio hosts discuss him, but he could become, in retrospect, he could really become something in history books that made us start talking about this. People got so uncomfortable. Well, the national anthem, that's when you stand up at a game. Do we even need it? First of all, it's not like, it's not like this country is ever going to agree on a song we all love with lyrics we all think are the right lyrics, especially those lyrics. Why have a song? We're not a united country. And this misconception that you're anti-American to say anything negative about the anthem. Come on. Come on. I love all these people who acted like the national anthem was so sacred and what Colin was going to do to our anthem. Really, as you're guzzling that 32-ounce beer with your pretzel mustard falling on your old shirt, is that, is that really a special tune for you? Or isn't it really just a talent show? Is that the national anthem? Like, all right, it's like a vocal contest. It's like American Idol. That's what it became. And Cap kind of got us to look at the lyrics a little bit. You know, what we hear in the home of the brand, that's only a portion of the song. I think a lot of people have learned about the Star Spangled Banner, learned a little bit more that it's not just, oh, when we get ready for the Niners and Seahawks and we're amped for tackle football. No, it was written by Francis Scott Key, who was a slave owner himself, had many, many verses. Most of these verses you never hear. Because if they allowed somebody to sing the full national anthem, the full Star Spangled Banner before a game, it would take like 12 minutes. But one of the verses, I don't know which one, it absolutely talks about slavery. And that is probably something worth revisiting, although this topic has been revisited quite a bit. So I assume it's time to move on. Will he get signed? Will he not get signed? I don't know. Hasn't that been a question for a few years? All these old billionaire white owners saying the right things right now. Or at least a few of them saying the right things. Well, I, I believe in Black Lives Matter. I, I believe in it. Translation, because the majority of our rosters are made up of black athletes and they help us get wins. But right now in our press conferences, we'll say the right things, at least right now. And then we'll lapse back into not signing Kaepernick. It's tough to transition out of that. I'll be honest. It's tough to just go into any other topic when you bring up the heavy stuff. Maybe I should save the heavy stuff for the last part. Because now I want to talk about La Bamba. But you're like, yeah, are we in the mood for La Bamba? You're kind of just talking about slavery and police brutality and now La Bamba? Well, there's just one little thing. 
one little thing. La Bamba, probably my favorite movie of all time. At least it was in the late 80s, throughout the 90s, and throughout my life. Why? Because I've always felt like you have to have a favorite movie, right? Like a favorite color? Sure, so La Bamba, great. But the soundtrack. I don't know why I haven't harped on this more. But La Bamba is the biopic of Richie Valens, played by Lou Diamond Phillips. Yet, the soundtrack to La Bamba, they don't use Richie Valens' music. They use Los Lobos. And I need an answer. I do. I need an answer. Why not use Richie Valens' music? I'm going to go to Spotify right now. Hold on. I'm going to type in the La Bamba soundtrack. Okay, the song La Bamba. They don't use Richie's. They use Los Lobos' cover. They use a cover, a band that covered it. Now, Los Lobos, it's a good band, but they covered La Bamba, and that's what they used for the movie La Bamba. Come on, let's go by Los Lobos. Ooh, my head by Los Lobos. We belong together by Los Lobos. Framed by Los Lobos. Donna by Los Lobos. Are you fucking kidding? Is there a bigger insult of a movie? Could you imagine the movie Ray? With Jamie Foxx, if they just used some covers of Ray Charles' great music. If like John Legend did a Ray Charles album and they're like, yeah, let's just go with that. No, most biopics, you use the real music, whether it's the Beach Boys or the Doors, Tina Turner. Think of any biopic, Freddie Mercury, Elton John. You use the artist. I don't know why the producers, the decision makers behind La Bamba in the 80s said, yeah, we got to make a movie to honor Richie, but uh, no, we can't use his shitty music. We got to get Los Lobos doing their covers at the county fair. Someone explain this to me. So I officially have a new favorite movie. Anything above La Bamba. La Bamba dipped, dipped really quickly in my eyes. Now, personally, as I immediately contradict myself, Whose music sounds better to my ears? Los Lobos. But that's not the point. Okay? That's not the point. You make a movie about Richie, you use Richie's voice. I got Lou Diamond Phillips doing a Los Lobos impression for two hours. What does that do for me? And if you're listening to me right now and you're like, why does it matter? It matters. It matters. Because there's going to be a movie that you loved when you were a kid and you discover something about it and you go, not anymore. Not anymore. My wife, one of her favorite movies is The Help. And now... We watch it, or at least I started it last night. I go, oh, it's a white savior movie. Trying to reframe some of the things in the history of our country as if, well, white people were this way. At least a couple of white people were this way. And they were so supportive of the black community. And they were different. And Green Book, which won Best Picture at the Oscars a few years ago. And I loved Green Book. And I brought it up with one of my students. And he's like, another white savior movie. Another white savior movie where Hollywood loves to tell the story of a brave white person who helped black people when really it's the most misleading type of plot. Most white people were not that helpful, just like today. Are they that helpful? Not really. There's a long list. I keep going to my phone, but I'm going to Google it. A long list of white savior movies. And these are movies that we all probably enjoyed because some of us just eat what Hollywood feeds us. And we go, that tastes good. That tastes fine. I guess that's how movies look, so that's good. And now we look back and we go, okay, The Blind Side, Dangerous Minds, Music of the Heart, McFarland, USA. Some of you are going, oh, I liked that movie. The Air Up There, Kevin Bacon Goes to Africa, Radio, The Principal. Yeah, a lot of classroom movies, A White Teacher, Dangerous Minds, helping the young black students along. Hollywood loves these movies. And now there's such an emphasis on this narrative where a white character rescues non-white characters. 
and we all celebrate them and it skews history. Huh. Huh. I'll give you a moment to do your own huh if you're listening to this on a walk. I don't care if there's people around you. It's time for you to go, huh. Things you never thought about, these old movies that you loved. Ah, we loved those movies. All right, I should end with this. A pandemic is a time to be with your family. Quality time spent with your family. So I'm spending more time with a two-year-old than I ever expected to, and I'm loving it. But I think we could all be honest about the stuff that's just, oh, not that activity. It's like chores, right? It's like chores. Some of us actually like some of our chores. Some people like to vacuum. Some people actually like folding laundry or doing dishes. But everybody has like two chores where they're like, no, uh uh-uh, I don't do that one. Like I don't mop or I don't dust. That's not my thing. I don't do toilets, but I'll do everything else in the house. Everybody has one chore. Now, if you're a parent, don't you have one activity with your kid where you're like, no, not this again. I hate it. I hate it. The one where we take all the pillows from around the house and put it into one room. Yeah, no, I don't like that one. I hate that one. Or now she does pretend nap time. We do pretend nap time where you actually go through the motions of taking a nap. You turn off the lights, you get the blankets, you get the stuffed animals, you read a book. And what are we doing? Hate it. My wife and I hate it. There's also one where she just likes to stand in the shed, in a dark shed and laugh. That's not so bad, but come on. It's a little claustrophobic, a little dank, a little too hot in there. I'm like, ah, it's shed time. Collect all the pillows time. Pretend nap time, no thanks. Triple no thanks, no thanks, no thanks, no thanks. And do I do it every time? Hell yes. Hell yes. Which makes me wonder, am I going to be a parent that could put the foot down and say no? I have to develop that skill. I'm so weak. It's so easy to see how weak I am. If my daughter comes to the dinner table and we're all eating, you know, chicken, salad, potatoes, and she says, I'd like a popsicle. There's a big percentage of me that's like, let's get her a damn popsicle. It's not a crime. And then my wife is a voice of reason, stronger, stronger parent. She says, no, a popsicle is dessert. She explains it. And we eat dessert after we eat our greens, our proteins. And, you know, I could see my daughter learning and listening. Whereas I go, fuck, if my wife wasn't here, would it be popsicle time right now? Because I'm saying yes to everything else. All right. Got to man up. Got to muscle up to this two-year-old. Soft like jello so far pushover of the year but we got a good balance going good balance all right you sat through all this what's wrong with you what's wrong with you pop a review up there on itunes if you wanna always appreciated grateful that you listen to this shit and sending you a big old cyber hug from abroad adios that's episode 95 it's in the books i'll talk to you soon (laughs) 